Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, buddy. Welcome to the Deep End Podcast. Uh, we are in the series Live Abundantly. This is the second week, and we just experienced a doozy, Pastor Joby. We talked about abundant marriage and fleeing sexual immorality. We're once again joined by our live audience. Let's say hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Kind of cool to, to have people here for this, uh, but let's, let's dive into it. Uh, Pastor Joby, you opened up talking about this series You've used the phrase landmines, that uh, part of the reason that we're doing or covering the topics that we're covering is that the enemy has these landmines he wants to bring to, to steal the abundant life from us. And so talk a little bit why marriage matters so much in that conversation. <clears throat> well, last week we started with wisdom. That's where Proverbs starts. And then kind of the idea is, uh, you know, I've said this many times that I've been in ministry now for 30 years and uh, well, 31 now. And I know people that love Jesus. They sing the songs. They know the part they raise their hands at. They take notes in their Bible. And yet, there's some specific areas of their life that if you don't get right, you are not walking in the abundant life. That there's a whole lot of our Bible. It's why we study James. It's why we're in the Proverbs now. It's called the wisdom literature. And wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. God's way of living in his world in regards to sex and sexuality may be more under attack right now than any, at least any time in U.S. history, any time in recent church history. And and you can see people absolutely train wrecking their lives and even families and cultures over this because they're they're not walking in God's way in regards to this. And it's a landmine. Like, regardless of what you believe, how much Jesus loves you, if you disobey him in certain areas, your life will blow up. So we're talking about this, we're talking about friends, we're talking about work, and we're talking about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forgot to say welcome to Pastor Michael Olson, who's here joining us tonight. It's Thanks for being thing, here, buddy. Easy thing to forget. <laughs> no way. <laughs> uh, well, since you're here, I thought of this uh, earlier today. Uh, you know, I've, I've led worship. You're one of our worship leaders, uh, doing an incredible job. And... Uh, I remember years ago thinking about this idea of of lust and sexual temptation, particularly as it relates to worship. And we're created for worship, which is essentially glorifying God and beholding His beauty. And so, the particular the particulars of sexual temptation are around uh, false beauty or um, counterfeit beauty. And so, would you have any thoughts to share, Michael, about how? Lust in particular is part of the enemy's attack to steal worship. Yeah, wow. Well, my mind immediately goes to something that you've preached on quite a bit. And it's these two elements of the process of sanctification in the believer. One's mortification. You know, this is, I think I've heard you say, this is the kill the thing that's killing you. Um. And the other is vivification. And honestly, I grew up in sort of a more, uh, I didn't grow up in a, I grew up in sort of like a Pentecostal holiness environment. We got the mortification part down pretty good. I I would imagine there's probably some, you know, some folks listening that maybe grew up in a, in a more like fundamentalist, uh, you know, Southern Baptist culture or things like that. And um, it was like that. We didn't get the vivification part down real good. Mm. And I think, the principle is if you're going to kill the thing that kills you, you got to realize that God has some intentionality in the thing that he lays out for you. That's a gift. And, and so as it relates to worship, Vinky, um, you know, we, we sing a lot about the beauty of the Lord and there's a real purity in that. And when we follow in his way and when we look at him and we do things his way, we live lives of worship and it, and it sort of vivifies us and pulls us into the direction that he has for us. And, um, and so I thought you did a great job of painting, you know, the picture of God's intentional goodness and how he lays this out for us. It's really awesome. Yeah, this, a different way to say it is like the same way that our hearts need the rest that only Jesus provides. And sometimes we're tricked into 
the binge watching of a show all weekend or you know these imitation sources i have found that sometimes a struggle with lust is actually a need for worship yeah and it's trying to come out a different way like and so i have to use that as a signal to say i need to get before the lord and behold his beauty because that's actually the thing that's going to satisfy me just like rest in his presence does. Well, if you look at the, 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 real, the three main temptations that the enemy uses and has from the beginning of time, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so the lust of the flesh, the real sin there, is this desire to feel a thing. Now, that desire to feel something is not bad. Mm-hmm. But everything that God creates, the enemy counterfeits, right? And so the lust of the flesh is when you begin to self-justify that you can meet the, your own needs to feel. Mm-hmm. And it could be sex, or it could be food, or it could be cocaine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy, yeah. right? And then the reality is, the, the thing that will help defang the enemy is when you realize that the ultimate source of that need you're looking for is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Because what you're really looking for in an intimate relationship is intimacy, exclusivity, you're looking for vulnerability, you want to be wanted and needed, those kinds of things, and all of those things are found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I think a big part of the reason that marriage is one of the primary illustrations of God's love, God's covenant love towards his people, is because all of those things are represented there. Of course. And then there's this crazy, you can't take this too far or you'll go to heresy, but any illustration taken too far ends in heresy. But you think about, think about procreation the way God created it. In God's economy, one man plus one woman in the covenant of marriage equals one. I mean, the Bible, all it keeps saying like, and the two become one flesh. Like God, the Trinitarian God is one God in three persons. And your marriage, there is, there is a oneness there, even though you are distinctly individual man and woman, husband and wife. And then out of an overflow of a husband and wife's love for one another in this covenant, they literally make image bearers. Like your kid looks like you on purpose. Yes. And love is an inexhaustible resource. I, I mean, I can tell you, everybody told me and Gretchen when we got married, oh, enjoy it while you can, because when you have kids, it's gonna be terrible. And um, our experience was the was the other. I mean, when our kids came along, I don't know, there's like you just be sitting on the couch and there's your kid, you think, holy moly, you exist because I love that girl over there. Yeah. Like that's how you got here. And then if you think about it, we exist because of the triune nature of God's love for himself. Speaking of illustrations that border on heresy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, it's something I love. You actually encouraged me in it the other day. I'm, I find myself doing uh, a lot of premarital counseling and I love it. I love it because it's an intentional discipleship uh, environment with it's super unique. Here's these two people that they're, honestly, they're about ready to, to engage in some patterns that are going to sustain them for really the rest of their life. At least, you know, till death do us part, Right. right. And I'll often, when it comes to, we'll, t- we'll do this. We'll, we'll apply Ephesians 5 to three major areas, right? It's uh, money. Ooh, that's fun. You know, practical communication. Um, and we'll talk about the sexual life of the married couple. And sometimes I'll talk about Sabbath as it, as it relates to that. Uh, we were created for regular communion with God. Right. First, you know, we weren't created, to, we were created to be. And, you know, in the American way of life, I'm sure there's a lot of guys listening to this. They're, they're so wrapped up in their career that they, 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 their calendar is killing them. And they don't have open time to spend with their spouse to just be. Right. It took my wife and I 12 years to figure out that I have Fridays off and that all my kids are in school all day. It took us 12 years to figure that out. And tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go to Grumpy's at the beach, and I'm gonna sit across the table with my wife, I'm gonna look her in the eye, and we're gonna sit together, and we're just gonna stare at each other for a while, and talk about the things that are important. And I think there's a little bit of Sabbath in that. It's not, I mean, the Sabbath is a thing, but there's- I think it's a good correlation. I think the, all of these things that we find deep and meaningful and soul restorative are typically reflections of who God is in our relationship with him. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Pastor Joby, that the, this is one of those things that's under attack in a big way. Yes. And I, I definitely agree with you. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What else is under attack in this? I mean, specifically the image of God in, yeah, in the human being. It starts with identity. Um, I mean, the moment we shift from saying uh, your identity is something given to you by your creator 
and we shift away from that and say, no, I self-determine my own identity, then it is an affront against God. I mean, you're doing the same thing that Lucifer did in the heavenlies. Like, mm-hmm. I sit on the throne, and I get to determine what is and is not. Mm-hmm. We move away from God's creation order, and your, uh, your feelings become the greatest arbiter of all things, and you don't get to tell me who I am the way I feel gets to tell me who I am, and you have to play the game that I'm playing. Mm. I mean, these, these things are demonic moves. Yeah. This is not progress. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the progressives, particularly the like progressive Christians, which there is no such thing. There's just a Christian that believes God's word, and then there are heretical, made-up new religions that just use some remnants of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But the moment you began to, to say, God is not in charge, I'm in charge, you were, you were literally declaring that you were the Lord of your own universe. Mm-hmm. That may be true, but Jesus is not simultaneously, simultaneously your Lord. So... This, this idea, or the, the scriptural idea is just that for us to image God, God's idea is that we would be male and female. That's how we are created. Now, are, is there a segment of the population that is confused about that? For sure, but that's the best word. They're very, very confused, lied to. But at this point in human history, man, we've got like the, the entire medical industry coming along probably just motivated by a political agenda and profit that are mutilating children and calling it health care. Mm. Yeah, they ought to be criminalized is what they ought to be. That's right. And then one day they will stand before a holy God and be judged for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, it is a fascinating time. I'm, I'm 44 years old, um, and the ramp up of this sort of confusion has been pretty drastic. In fact, I've, you know, I've got 14, almost... 12 and eight year old boys and the world that they're living in is completely different. Correct. They just inherited a different world. And I've got to, I've got to figure that out. But I will also say this, that, you know, Jesus is very intentional. You know, um, as evangelicals, we maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable with, uh, degrees of sin. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as you read the biblical narrative, the, the gospels in particular, Jesus is really, he is very, there's an extra heightened level of sensitivity and directness about sexual sin. Yep. There is. He talks a lot about money. Yep. Ill- illustratively. And then he talks about the nature of sexual sin. And I think the reason why he does it is because it's so tied to the identity. 100%. It's so tied to the image of God. And, and so if you were the enemy, what would you go after to confuse the image of God? You would go after the thing that maybe is the most personal that bears the image of God or allows them to understand their identity in Christ the most. And you would start with kids. Yeah. And, I mean, you want to talk about levels of sin. Children's ministry is the only one that Jesus said, I'm going to personally protect. And you mess with my kids, it'd be better for you to drown in the ocean. Tie a big rock. Yeah, man, a millstone. Can't even pick it up. So the, let's just clarify for folks. People have heard this phrase, all sin is sin. It's all the same to God. That's not true, according to the Bible. Yeah. In relationship to salvation and any sin against a holy God requires an eternal judgment, it is true. In regards to your justification before God, it is true. In regards to the consequences of sin in the life of the human, it is not true. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 6 very clearly says, all sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually, it's different, new category, sins against his own body. If you look at, in the old covenant, in the law, which is a gift from God, different sins had different repercussions. Yes. They're not all the same that way. Yep. Even, even if you go to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about, you have heard that it was said that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if a man lusts in his heart, he has committed adultery in his heart. Mm. Well, the in your heart is different than a, than a full-on adultery. Sure. It just is, like legally and horizontally. There's pain there for sure. And the way you understand that is if you go to the next one, he says, you've heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder, but if you were angry in your heart, you've already murdered. But nobody could put anybody to, in jail for a feeling in their heart. It is a sin against God, but it is not illegal to be mad at somebody in your heart. It's, mm-hmm. it's Jesus you know, he's the original principle of the path guy. Correct. Correct. Uh, you know, in, <laughs> he's the greater Solomon. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I actually, when I, when I listened to what I heard tonight, I, one of the most fascinating aspects of it, you said it a couple times, horizontal hell. And at the beginning of the series, you actually laid out the difference between the, the nature of justification mm-hmm. and wisdom. Right. 
And you, you, you said a couple times tonight, uh, I'm not even talking about whether this is sin or not sin or whatever. I'm just saying it's dumb, you know, right. whatever. You use maybe more direct words than I just <laughs> used a couple times. But I think that's a really good thing for us to grapple with because if you grew up in a religious environment like me, mm. you, you tend to go to like heaven and hell, you know, like in, and, and, you know, you all the skits that were done in youth group about the devil and, you know, all this stuff. Solomon's really, I mean, you're laying it out. It's wisdom. Is it right. smart? And is it going to lead you to life or death? Right. You know, I don't know how to, I don't feel like I can say this very well on stage because it sounds so braggadocious. I woke up this morning. Um, I did my first meeting wasn't until like nine o'clock. Gretchen has a Bible study at nine. The kids are gone. We're just hanging out this morning doing what you're talking about. Sipping coffee, looking at each other. She's, you know, what are you preaching on this weekend? And I'm like, what sexual sin and, you know, paths that lead to life or death. Okay. And bro, we're not perfect for sure. But in this area of our 23 years of marriage, we are striping it down the middle of the fairway, <laughs> 350 yards and, and have, there's never been a thing. You know what I mean? And the amount of freedom, like the, the gift that that is at this point in my marriage, there's nobody that could come and be like, Oh, have a secret about you. And be like, go ahead, let it all out. What do you have, man? Because by God's grace, one of the things that had some very wise people in my life, one of them was Coach Bull Lee. Another was the very first pastor I worked for right out of seminary. His name's Dr. Bill Ross. And he laid out for me, because I'm working with students and there's all these high school girls. I was only like four years older than them, right? And he was like, let me give you some guardrails and some principles to live by that are going to protect you. We're not talking about right and wrong. We're not talking about sin or not sin. We are talking about just being wise in this evil age. And if you get on this path, it leads somewhere. I'm just telling you, and I know this to be true for you two guys too, the freedom that you have with your spouse after decades of doing marriage God's way and fleeing sexual immorality, the amount of freedom there is incredible. Yes. It's incredible. Um, we're 20 years this year in November, which is, I feel, such you know, a big deal. I feel like I should start growing my beard like you, you know. <laughs> you should. But uh, I, I don't dare know you. if I can do that. <laughs> I'm working on a mustache here a little bit. People think it's freaky. But um, oftentimes, I'll, when I'm trying to talk to these, you know, <laughs> my wife's so funny. When I started doing, <laughs> when I started doing premarital counseling, I, we would do it, some of it together. Actually, we'd talk about the, se- the sex part of it together. And we'd get together with these couples. And I went to Ashley and I said, hey, we're going to do some counseling. And she looked at me. She's like, man, I didn't think we were doing that bad. You know, she thought we were going to counseling, which was funny. And then we probably should have gone to counseling. And then, and then I said, no, we're the ones that are going to counsel. And she's like, are we, are we that old right now? And I was like, yes. Yes, we're that old right now. But all this to say, um, it you know, in the conversation, it goes something like this. Listen, the, they're trying, these people are trying to tell you that, that sex is supposed to be uninhibited and for, it's for the young and that you should only think about it during, this is weird to talk about, but yeah. here we go. No, it's, it's, a, it's something to foster intimacy through exclusivity over long periods of time. And there's certain things that you'll be able to get through as a married couple or experience together the word that I use in our conversations, the only thing I can think of is superpower. Mm-hmm. It's a superpower that you have. That's right. And you'll never share it with anybody else. So when you get to that spot, you'll be able to look at each other and go, this is, it's just us. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge gift from the Lord. Yeah, it's you know? interesting. I love it when the science eventually catches up with the Bible. You know, that happens. It's, it's like the, they sent that telescope up a couple of years ago. And like, the world had a beginning. We were like, our whole book starts with in the beginning. You could have saved a lot of money on the telescope. Anyway. Um, the pictures were cool. Right, super cool. But it, all of the sociological data coming out right now is the happiest people in the bedroom are middle-aged married people that it's have a, been faithful. It's a party. I mean, if you think about it. Yeah, totally. Middle age is great. Uh, so you mentioned the scripture from Corinthians that uh, I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts. What is, talk a little bit more about sexual sin being against your own body. Bro, um, it's in a different category, man. 
you can, well, the enemy uses it like crazy, but it is in a different category. Like you can joke about all kinds of sin. Like, I mean, dude, when I say I was good at being bad, I was really good at being bad. I mean, you know, I've, I've been arrested for Grand Theft Auto. Happy to tell you the story about that. That was fun. I have been in more fights than I can describe. Sometimes I just get in one. Even if I didn't think I was going to win, I'd take a couple punches just to get warmed up because I was into it. Um, I used to steal so many things, mostly from Walmart, which I think is hilarious. I spend the majority of my time preaching from a Walmart. And from a conscious level, those things don't really bother me. Like the, the blood of the lamb washing that sin away is easy for me to understand and receive. Mm. Let me tell you what no grown people do. No grown people sit around in a disciple group and be like, my wife used to sleep around in college all the time. This is hilarious. Tell them, hon, never. Because it's so intimate. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that lies and says, no, sex is only physical. Nobody believes that. Nobody looks at a rape victim and goes, what are you whining about? That was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. it's, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't still be whining about it. Nobody, everybody knows intuitively mm -hmm. because everybody's got the fingerprint of God on there. Yeah. This is something supernatural. This is not normal. This is not just mating. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, the Old Testament uses the, the Hebrew word dode. It means the mingling of souls. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about here. I don't think we have good language to describe it, but everybody knows. Um, even, even prisoners treat sexual criminals differently than they treat everybody else. So think about that kind of ethic. Like yeah. every human being knows this is different. Yeah. Is that something, do you think that's something that you only understand as a believer, right? Because I just imagine... Uh, people who maybe are new to church or they, they're just thinking that it's just pure fun. I don't. I think every person knows. I think they try to buy into that. But you, so watch some dumb show like Sex in the City. And the whole thing is these women have done everything the world said they ought to do. And the whole thing is just how miserable they are. And they're at the top of their game if it is only fun and you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And so they're always trying to navigate like, well, the, so then what happens is, is you start bumping up against like technique, as a, but they know something's missing. Mm -hmm. So they think, well, I know I picked the wrong person. No, no, no. You're doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're never going to be satisfied that way. Mm -hmm. This thing is different. Yeah, I, th I do. I mean, there, there is probably the liver shot argument, Yeah, which is the, I'm stumbling around doing the wrong thing. I don't. I'm, I'm sim simple, maybe is the word, yeah. is that it Solomon uses. And I don't understand the true uh, weight of the decisions that I'm making right now. And Solomon's giving, <laughs> he's saying, understand the weight. Right. But that has no bearing on the consequence. Like, the con you're, it's going to come down on your head like crazy, and it's going to change the course and the trajectory of your life. Whether you're simple or not. Right. The, the consequence of it is, is as heavy as as heavy as it's going to be, you know? I think, though, in God's common grace is even if you don't know God and you do, thing God, do things God's way, there are often so many benefits there. Mm -hmm. Like the people that, gr that grow up in a very traditional society and they do save themselves from marriage and the only person they've ever had sex with is their spouse. There is so much grace and there, there, there's so many potholes they have avoided. They're not mm -hmm. bringing guilt and shame into their marriage. Mm -hmm. Their wife is not wondering if she measures up to everybody else. You know, there, there's like God's common grace. The rain rains on everybody, regardless of what you believe. Mm. And so there is, I mean, that's a part of Solomon's wisdom. Yeah. Now you talked a lot about, Pastor Joby, uh, the drift or the small incremental steps um, that so nobody nobody wakes up and says you know what I like to do is I like to ruin my whole life today mm -hmm. you know it starts small so and you mentioned a few of these but are there any more uh, questions or diagnostics that you have for yourself that say hey have I do I do I have the right protections in place am I taking any of these small drifting steps well I kind of mentioned this but <clears throat> I mean everybody needs to be a Pharisee about something. Mm -hmm. Like there are some things in I feel our like I've got a bunch. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> um, I just I, like I know me, man. I know that, that, that 
the question is not, is it right or wrong? That's not strong enough in some areas. There are other areas where I experienced great freedom in my life and, you know, what has been very tempting to some people was just so tempting mm-hmm. to me. But, but then I know if I were the enemy, how would I try to take me out based on mm-hmm. the way I feel today, some of the potholes I've run into in the past, so, and some other people in my position, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, there's two things that take guys out my spot right now, mostly, or throughout church history, they monies run. and honeys. Yeah, they run. That's right. That's so I have, I've just decided, man, you, if I, so for instance, one of the rules I have in my life is I'm just never alone with a female. It's really hard to cheat on your wife if you've never been alone with a female, mm-hmm. you know? And you don't even get to, well, don't you trust me? You don't have to trust me. Because you can trust that I'm never going to be alone. And so, I mean, you guys, we all work together. We have these kind of guardrails. Because the beautiful thing about a guardrail is you can bump into it before you get into the ditch. I also think your guardrails uh, help you uh, develop a sensitivity to listen. Yes. So, you know, um, we have the Shanes here tonight. I don't know if this is all timeline. So good. I know it was great. I love those guys. They they have a Psalm uh, 51 setting on one of their records. It's actually different than what you think it would be. It's kind of up-tempo. Yeah. And one of the things they say in that, and I, th- I can't remember what translation the Bible is in, but teach me wisdom in the secret heart. <clears throat> yeah. David, teach me wisdom in the secret. This is after, this is a penitent Psalm. This is actually after he did this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away. You know, he's like, He's praying these prayers to sort of redevelop a sensitivity in his heart. Teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Guardrails are amazing. I feel like they create, um, they create a sense of margin for you to develop a, the, the sensitivity to listen to the voice of God. And, when, and that's, I think that's the process of the life of the believer. Like as, as you're going about your day, God, would you allow me to be in a position wherever I'm at? I think there's a little bit of like pray without ceasing in this. You know what I mean? Um, wherever I go, whatever I do, if you say something, any little thing, on any topic, any subject, at any time, would you give me the sensitivity of heart to just nick me a little bit? And I go, oh, yep. you know? And then, you know, you say, this is your uh, illustration, but what, 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 what happened to that guy? He just did this one time. Yep. And then that one thing led to another thing that led to another thing. Yeah, part of the... Uh, being a Pharisee about some stuff. So the, the problem with the Pharisees in the first century with Jesus is they made up rules that God didn't make up, but then they required everybody to live by those rules or said you didn't know God. So, that, mm-hmm. so, But to have some rules in your own life that are rules around the law of God are to, to alert your conscience before you ever get to sin. Mm-hmm. That when, I'm, when I'm trying to tell people why, why this is a really good idea... If you, back in the day when I was way more serious about my diet and would cut out like all salt, I would never eat salt, you know, that kind of thing. If I got anything with just the slightest bit of salt, it was like, oh, what, yeah. oh, what is that? And everybody else is just munching away. And I'm like, are you people okay? That doesn't hurt your tongue, right? Mm-hmm. Well, man, you, you begin to adjust to the sexual ethic of this world. Mm-hmm. And bro, there's poison in your food and you don't even taste it. That's right. But when you flee, I'm telling you, you guys know all my rules and stuff. And so, I mean, if there's if a girl walks in my office, even if we're having a meeting and she's just the first one in, I'm just like, oh, you got to open. You know, like, it just immediately it stands out to me so blatantly. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be that guy for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of our church, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my walk with Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? And so some of those things are like, they're like learn, they're pathways, neurological pathways that you create trying to repent and not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but have a different pattern of living for the sake of the gospel. Boy, that's, that's something, what you just said. I mean, you talk about science catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, neurological pathways. All right, let's talk about neurological pathways. Let's talk about spiritual disciplines that reconstruct the mind to do the right things. And the, and you know, this, this idea of be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. So get yourself in a, in a position where you're doing the same unhealthy thing over and over and over again, and, and then figure out how hard it is to not do that. Addiction, yeah. anything, any one thing. In fact, 
I remember watching this crazy documentary one time. I can't remember what it was called, but they were comparing the science between, you know, eating disorders and like cocaine addiction yeah. and the, the dopamine thing that happens and all, you know, all this stuff that happens chemically in the brain. And it, it sounds like the apostle Paul. Yep. It sounds like the apostle Paul saying, I will not be mastered by this. You know what I mean? And also be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So putting yourself in positions where you're actually through habitual, habitually doing the right things. I'm in this with exercise right now. <laughs> Praise God. I started running and I had a goal to run three, three Ks a week. And I got plantar's fasciitis in my left foot. Mm, and now I got to ride my bike. It that's because you're not supposed to run. I know. If you ever see yourself running, you've been doing something wrong. But all this to say, if yeah. I train my mind to do that thing, I'll actually get to a place where I miss it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, the brain science on pornography is it creates the same neuropath- neurological pathways as substance abuse like heroin and cocaine, the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. Here, here, here's a good example of, like, putting up with filth. So, like, you're watching some trash on Netflix. I mean, it's not, like terrible but you've gotten okay with it and they just the language they use is not okay and even if it ain't naked people it's pretty dang close right and then your kid walks in all of a sudden you're like oh right so what in the heck happened that we have numbed ourselves to it unless our kid walks in mm-hmm. we this, there's there should be no filthiness among us mm-hmm. i mean in my house i've just decided like one of my pharisaical things is is I just can't watch. Listen, you can kill each other because you can act like you're killing each other in a movie. You can't act like you're naked. Mm-hmm. That's just naked. You mm-hmm. don't get to act like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can act like you shoot the terrorist and blow up the tank. I can figure that out. But that's just a naked person. I don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I don't need to see it because I'm like, oh my goodness, the devil. No, it's because temptation is tempting. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it costs way too much. It reminds me of what you said. It's like I'm I'm okay with crazy. Like I have a I have a pr- pretty like high level of sensitivity towards things that I watch. So a lot of times people are talking about the shows that they're into. I'm just like I'm sorry, I don't have any idea. I just don't. I can't watch it. Yeah. I just don't watch yeah. it. You know, just because of and that. And I'm not very trying thing. to lay that on somebody else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even you like Jesus Jukum with the Chosen. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my favorite show is The Chosen. Just watch it over and over and over again. Uh, and then you say, I've read the book. It's better. <laughs> I mean, okay, take this, even take the sex out of it. This is a side thing, but, uh, you know, sometimes even just the narrative, like the power of your imagination to, uh, to grab onto narrative, I can get up in the morning and spend time in the word. And then five minutes later, I'm thinking about, man, what is Jack Ryan going to do next? <laughs> you know? And I'm, I, I even have to be careful about that just yeah. because I want to be captivated by the, the narrative of, of the kingdom story. You know what I mean? And not just the, the latest, the latest show. Uh, okay, so here's here's a here's one I want to ask about. So, Proverbs is a father to his son. Okay, and we're all sitting here; we're all men, and so we are going to read this as men and think, okay, the seductive woman, the foreign woman. I get what he's saying. Okay, I have talked to women, my sisters in the Lord, and have expressed some version of. How, how should I read this? Because I don't feel like I'm trying to be dangerous. And yet I feel like when I read, if, if a woman reads this, she's like, am I dangerous? Am I dangerous to these men? And so how would you help a woman reading this, hearing this, who, who maybe doesn't have an intent to be the, the wicked person that you mentioned? Yeah. You know what I mean? Talk a little bit about uh, that. Yes, you're extremely dangerous just because of the fallen nature of man. Mm-hmm. Now that gets twisted like crazy mm-hmm. right now. They'll be like, well, toxic masculinity is right. not my fault and I'm not a seductress and yada. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're talking like the world. Mm-hmm. The Bible only talks about non-married people in the church as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And brothers and sisters bear one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying anything is your fault when people see you this way. Mm-hmm. 
but we should consider others as more important than ourselves Mm -hmm. in the way we talk, in the way we dress, and all the things, man, Mm -hmm. all these kinds of things. And so there are some very specific things about the way godly women should conduct themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't make somebody else's sin nature their problem. Mm -hmm. But again, we are. We are in this war together as brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things I am trying to do with the men, particularly the young men here at 1122, is to to go out of your way to value and honor your sisters Mm -hmm. in Christ. That every girl you come in contact with, no matter how old she is, she is your sister in Christ. And if you don't learn to treat her that way, there's no chance in the world you're ready to be a husband. Mm -hmm. And then the same would be true the other way, too, that, that the women of 1122 married and unmarried, young, all the ages, that we would honor one another. They would honor their brothers in Christ. And every brother is looking for respect and those kinds of things. And that's how we would treat one another. Mm -hmm. But the moment you begin to abdicate your role and what the enemy is trying to do to steal, kill, and destroy, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you might not be a malevolent participator. You're just a useful idiot. Mm -hmm. And those two things are what is required to like overthrow a people. Mm -hmm. And so don't be a useful idiot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I read it as, yes, it's danger, but the danger is first and most in me, right? A hundred percent. And it's not, even though it is talking about a father, it's a father addressing his son, it's not only for men. Not at all. It's just, uh, you're correct. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's There's about a, all temptation. Correct. Right, 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 right. It's just written from that one perspective. And hopefully you're smart enough to, to realize, like, if, if you're a female reading this, just flip it around. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are dudes saying, hey, come down this corner, yes. and this is all about you, and let me, and whatever, whatever mm-hmm. would push your buttons, buy you this, tell you that, brag about how stable they're going to be, whatever. You better, you are also on a path, and you're going to get to a corner. Pay very close attention to that. Mm. I had, I don't know, I don't think this lines up exactly what you're talking about, but I also think the context that we're living in it's just a crazy sexualized culture, man. Oh my it's gosh. like, so you got to be somewhat aware of the water that you're swimming in. And, um, you know, it strikes me. I was actually, I was listening to, um, I was on an airplane today and I was listening to, uh, the Bible and I was listening to Acts and, you know, uh, when, when the, when the uh, disciples, the apostles get together and they're making a decision, Acts 15 on what, should dif- differentiate? What, what standards should the believers uphold? What do they need to follow and not follow? Jewish folks. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Abstain like from idols. Yeah. And then it had to do with human sexuality. And That's it. And then also, like, in the first century, the things that the believers were known for, yeah. like, were, was there, like, radical mercy towards the poor? You know what I mean? And they're radically different sexual ethic in the in the middle of the Roman Empire. That's right. And so they just they, they just the other two were they saved babies. Yeah, there you go. And then they were radically diverse. Mm-hmm. Which if you put that in today's context, two of those are like Republican staples and two of those are Democratic staples. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And they were like, but the, the early church, the way they it was those four things that first century Roman historians were like, these people are wacko. Right. Like, they only sleep with their wives. That's literally what this document says. Like, who does that? And the Christians are like, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you, take, if you take that historical fact about the early church, that their sexual ethic was different, you take Acts 15, which is, you know, Peter saying these things about what, what, what should, you know, believers do and the Gentile believers do. Man, it really highlights the importance of the sexual ethic that you that the church lives by in the middle of culture. Correct. Um, last night, yeah, my days run together. Middle school football game, Reagan's a cheerleader at Providence, uh, which is great because it's a very Christian school, so it's the, like, Christian version of cheerleading. You know, I mean, for real, they pay attention to all that stuff. There's not, you know, and like uniform and all that. And so uh, I think we were playing your school. Providence. Providence versus yeah. Cornerstone. Yes. I saw many 1122ers on both sides. Anyway, God loves Providence better because we won, so that was cool. <laughs> anyway, we get done. We go to, we go to, uh, I'll abstain. We'll go to, to dinner because you want to go to dinner. This is, uh, Gretchen's like, so I got there before them, so I'm sitting down and the girls sit down and Gretchen goes, tell your dad what you just told me. 
And so she looks kind of sheepishly, and she was like, I just said, whenever I get my first boyfriend, if he doesn't treat me like dad treats me, I'm leaving. And I was like, what, I, order whatever you want. I just won. <laughs> That's it, man. Because I've been dating that little girl for many, many, I, I take her out on dates. I lavish love upon her. I don't really do the like, you know, whatever boy comes around here, I'm going to kill him. I don't really, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do is build her up mm-hmm. to be the godly woman that she is so that if something not up to her standard walks in the door, she's mm-hmm. like, that stinks. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's different than I'm going to clean my guns in front of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually want to be the kind of dad yes. that moves close to some boy that ever comes sniffing around my house and be like, hey, man, I'm for you, and I'm, but I'm way more for her. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm, but, but to draw him close so you can have influence, not create an enemy that way. You know, Ashley, uh, I, you know, I've got a 14-year-old boy. And um, it's all new uh, to me. And one of the things I love about how my wife, she's so smart, dude. She's cute, too. But um, she pulls Brody in. She pulls that aspect Mm. of Brody's life into conversation in a really fun way. And what I can tell what she's doing, she's smarter than me, for sure. She is she is creating an environment for Brody to walk into that part of his life within the context of our family relationship. Mm -hmm. And she's inviting him in to being open about it Mm -hmm. so that he can learn from us Mm -hmm. as opposed to me cleaning guns, shotguns in the corner. You probably have more than I do. I can guarantee it. (laughs) But like, uh, that's, that's a different game. You know what I mean? So uh, let's say there's somebody who's heard the message tonight or listening to this and maybe they're married, but they have a lot of sexual sin in their past or they're struggling to get over it. And you even mentioned in the message, uh, Pastor Joby, what to do in that moment of confession. So talk talk to those folks about how they can get through some of the toughness that might come up from trying to bring healing in this area. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the, the life of the believer is that of daily repentance. Um, confession is really, really important. I mean, I, I don't see how you simultaneously lie to your spouse and grow in intimacy. Those things cannot Mm-mm. coexist. I do want to make a distinction. There are some things there. The physical act of adultery, if that has happened and when it comes to light, you, you need you better rally the troops. You need your church. You need counseling. So. Let's say short of that, lustful thoughts, pictures, things in the past, those kind of things. I don't know how to prepare a person to hear these things. I mean, you're going to just have to pray that the grace of God somehow overtakes you and you have a peace that transcends understanding. Because the amount of hurt and pain that you're going to receive is just, it's, it's huge. It's enormous. But the way... Married people respond to one another in that moment mm-hmm. is going to dictate a huge part of the future. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a part of the horizontal hell I'm talking about because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're going to look at your wife and think, holy moly, I am putting her through hell right now. Mm-hmm. But the way he or she, depending on who the confessor is, responds, it is either going to begin over time in your marriage to create an environment where things like grace and trust and vulnerability are welcomed, mm-hmm. or even though it's not your fault if you have been sinned against, or you could respond in such a way where you essentially train your spouse to hide and lie because it, this is not a safe place for you to have sinned. Mm-hmm. And dude, the complexities of that, I don't even know how I how totally unpack that in a mm-hmm. sermon, you know, but I've just... I'm, I'm trying to share with our folks because, man, listen, you, you start stirring this stuff up on a weekend and, and, and people start doing what the Spirit is telling them to do. They repent and they confess. And, hmm. and so anytime somebody, regardless of what their past is, man, when they're trying to move towards steps of obedience and abundant life, especially if it's your wife or your husband, you want to be a partner in that kind of journey with them. Be honest about your hurt. Be honest about the pain. But you want to try to create an environment of love and grace and trust. Hmm. So for all you like uh, non-creationists out there, um, 
you know, there's a lot of worldviews hanging out. If, if it was true, if it was true that um, this is just biological, why in the world, why in the world would grown people walk around with so much pain right. over this? Why in the world would there be so much at stake for a husband or a wife whose spouse or whatever comes and confesses something? Mm -hmm. What is it in you that dings you so hard? It's your soul. That's right. It's the spark of the image of the divine. And also, when that happens, let's say it is, let's say it is adultery okay. in the context of marriage. <laughs> it, it has to be a supernatural act of grace. See the resurrection of Jesus Christ to overcome the amount of pain that that inflicts on the human person. Yeah. Their identity, the one that's been sinned against. Um, only Jesus and, and the resurrection can make sense of dealing with that kind of pain. Only his resurrection, only the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ can take that much hurt and complexity at some, something that's so core to the human person and turn the ashes of it into something beautiful. It's the only thing that can do it. And I can line up 100 couples at 1122 that have experienced that kind of redemption even in the face of infidelity. Yeah. Now, adultery is such a big deal that Jesus is like, listen, man, this covenant between one man and one woman for one lifetime with God, the, the sex between those people is such a big deal that adultery can fracture this thing. Yeah. But that does not mean that the automatic response is divorce. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I know it's kitschy around here, but if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And if God can breathe new life into his dead son, he can restore that marriage. Yeah. And even if the person that has been cheated on feels like, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it, we are still required to offer forgiveness, even if the marriage can't be reconciled. Mm. But the, the lead foot... See, Jose and Gomer, yep. see 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. The lead foot is that we pursue reconciliation because we are ambassadors of reconciliation. Because mm. one of the primary illustrations of idol worship in the Old Testament is that we, have, we are an adulterous people against an almighty God. Yes. And so he came and died in our place that we could be reconciled with him. Yes. That is what keeps that couple together. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned that it's... It's a, an evidence of the Spirit of God at work that that you would want to bring something like that to light. Correct. Um, is there is there a point where you can maybe from a motivation of trying to assuage your guilt, like could you over confess and make your in a negative way? Like I can think of a season in my marriage early on where I felt like I had to say everything. Like there's this girl in my class and I <laughs> yeah. talked to her. I said, hi, I, I don't know if it was bad or not, but I just wanted to tell you just so we're totally clear. You know, and it's just like, she's like, you don't have to tell me. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Where's the line for, for you on that? Yeah, I think, I think one is that there is a level of detail that does not need to be shared because mm -hmm. we have a very creative kind of mind, you know, that could cause people lots of pain, unnecessary pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. And every temptation in our life, I don't think, has to be shared with our spouse every time. I mean, you wouldn't just confess every time. You're like, girl, you made me so mad. I just want to, you know, like <laughs> there's some things that you take those thought, those thoughts captive and you bring them before the Lord. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I love about that, though. What you said is the sensitivity of you. Yeah. Like whether you're sharing it or not, like that meter that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So you got some guardrails, they're there, but the guardrails are, are, are creating margin for you to develop a sensitivity in your heart that keeps you that sensitive. Mm -hmm. Wow. So when, we've, when Gretchen and I first got married, and again, I had been under the tutelage of Dr. Bill Ross, who was the senior pastor that I worked for. Every time you say it, I think of Bob Ross. Oh, do you? Without fail. Uh, he was way cooler, man. He was, <laughs> he was, he's a smooth operator. And one of the things that he taught me, man, is how to like not lose your 
family to ministry. Man, he mm. loves his wife Penny, and he lo- he was like the perfect dad. He was great. I got I got to see it like way up close. That was really cool. So <clears throat> when Gretchen and I are first married, and I'm and I'm laying out the rules, like, hey, here's what I do, and I'm not going to be alone with a girl, and da 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 da. It took her years to be like, I just thought that when you said I do, you were so captivated by me that you would never even consider those things. And I was like, yeah, that'd be neat, but (laughs) I know me. But it did. It was kind of that. Like, at Mm -hmm. first, it wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Now, 23 years in, I mean, a few years in, she was like, okay, I get it. You know, you put any two people in the wrong circumstances long enough, and the wrong things can happen. That's right. And, um... And, and I mean, like tonight, I came off stage. She's in the front row sitting next to my dad, which is kind of cool. And she's grabbing me by the hand. She was like, you crushed that. And I was like, um, yeah, it felt pretty good. And then she goes, no, not the sermon, living that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy moly. I mean, that was Hercules, Hercules, you know. <laughs> but again, man, there are a thousand things, particularly in marriage and like mm. – listening and valuing her and not having to have my way. And, oh, the list is long of the Mm -hmm. things that I constantly need to repent of and ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But the freedom that comes in this this one area, man, living in God's world, God's way, it's it's just, it's worth it. It's worth whatever temporary flattery you miss out on Mm -hmm. to get your wife encouraging you Mm -hmm. a couple Mm -hmm. decades in. It's good. You mentioned Psalm 51 earlier, Michael, and I, what, the, the latter part of that, what I love is that what he starts to talk about is how the, God's going to use this to teach other people. Yeah. You know, he says, I'm going to, if you, once you do these things in me, I'm going to instruct sinners in that's the right. way that's right. And so uh, when you talk about divorce doesn't have to be the first go-to always, I mean, there's a lot of pain on both sides. Like, you're going to walk through some pain in some, in some redemption story. That's pain for sure. There's also a lot of pain even if you go separate ways. I mean, we, we've all seen it, friends that just like now their kids have two, two Christmases and it's two, mess. you know, it's, it's still a mess. You don't just, un, just don't, don't just undo everything, you know. There's, um, you know, that, the possibility of that. I love, I love ties between David and Jesus. I love, I love this. The possibility of what you just talked about. There's a lot of Jesus mm-hmm. to be discovered and experienced in repentance, confession, forgiveness. And there are people that have walked through tremendous amounts of pain together, married couples, yep. that are on the flip side of that process and their walk with the Lord is closer than it's ever been. And there's probably things they know about his character and nature that honestly, mm-hmm. that many of us may never know yeah. because they've walked through the valley and yeah. he's held their hand through it. I mean, think about this. God decided that he would prefer a story where sin happens and it's redeemed than no sin ever. Yeah. The, the, he his, preferred that. His glory is more magnified yeah. in that in those events. Yeah. Man, I'm, um, you know, I help coach football and uh, JP's a defensive back and like there's this other senior defensive back, super great kid, comes here. And we shared his parents' story at an Easter a bunch of years ago where they were getting a divorce. I think there had been infidelity. They were apart from each other. Neither of them were going to church. They both started attending 1122, and they don't know it because the place is, I mean, it's kind of big, right? Uh-huh. You can sit over there and over there, you never see anybody. And then in like the kids swap, drop off kind of as they're figuring it out, they both begin to kind of realize like something's changing in you. And I'm doing a sermon maybe similar to this and call people to the altar, and, they're, and they look up and see each other at the altar and be like, when did you start coming to my church? You fast forward, I redid their vows. Hmm. And this, like, last Thursday night, on senior night, there they are walking their football player. Hmm. And the three of them come, and they're like, you know, I, I was the one talking when God did all the things. But they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. We never imagined it could be this good. Mm-hmm. And what happened is Jesus got a hold of them. Mm-hmm. And when, when he does, man, 
You have no idea the abundant life that you could walk mm-hmm. in. And then their boy, I know him really well, man. He's a super great kid. And then he pulled me aside one time. He's like, hey, I just want to thanks, thank you for what you did to my parents. My whole life would be different mm-hmm. if he didn't say these words, but in this context, if mm-hmm. they would have stayed on the path that they were on, I would be collateral damage of some of those decisions. But they... Mm-hmm turned the corner back towards wow. the Lord, and now here's this family that's just just thriving, man. Yeah. So all, right. all of this stuff, the one of the things, I, don't, I wish I could like crack up in my heart and let our whole church that's going to mm-hmm. hear this at all the locations and then all the people listening all over the place hear from us as some of the leaders at 1122. This is not me trying to be an old school fundamentalist and tell you what you ought to be doing in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're doing here, mm-hmm. man. I'm trying to communicate from the Good Shepherd to his people a pathway that leads to abundant mm-hmm. life and help them avoid some major, major mm-hmm. landmines that could blow that up. Mm. Yeah. Like this is an offer of grace and goodness. Yeah, we're talking about the just talk about the generational impact. You know, the, the the scripture would call generational sin or generational curse, right? But you talk about science catching up. Uh, children with divorced parents are like 50% or more likely to have that happen to them, right? Because they've seen it happen. All right, I had somebody send me a couple questions, and so we'll close with these. It's related to dating, okay? To dating? Dating. Oh, sweet. Okay. I remember uh, that. How do you, so let's just say. I'm going to do tomorrow. (laughs) This is unmarried dating. Uh, if you're in a if you're in a if, if you're in a dating relationship and there's been physical like too much physical lines yeah. that are crossed, how do you do? How do you take the step back? Uh-huh. And then what do you do? Second part of that question is what do you do if one person is doesn't agree? Break up. That's easy. Part A. Okay. Uh, if you have crossed lines, if there's been sexual sin, if dating always leads to sexual sin. The best you could do is you have to hit pause on that. Mm-hmm. Get out your phone. Now, I would start with, here's an easy, easy one. Take a 40-day fast where you don't touch. Mm-hmm. You don't touch each other. Think about it this way. You can only touch each other the way you, you would touch me. And I want you to think about that the next time you're all over each other. I'm, I don't, I'm out. Would we hug? Very briefly, but it would be an A-frame. Would we hold hands until the prayer was over and then we go, amen, okay? Because then what you'll have to do is actually communicate. Because it's mm. hard, man. It's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Who said that? Josh Turner? Mm. Um, but what's going on here, if it always leads to physical, you, could get, you should get your phone out right now and go a year from right now and put schedule an appointment with yourself that says resume dating. Because mm-hmm. you're not ready. Mm. You're not ready. And all you're going, you're playing with fire, and you're going to burn it all down. You're mm-hmm. either going to damage a good relationship, mm-hmm. or you're going to prolong a bad one. Mm-hmm. And one of the only ways you're going to be able to know if that is for real or not is you've got to quit touching mm-hmm. for a significant season. Your mm-hmm. uh, illustration that you often give is the injury one. Yeah, is if you got a big bruise on you, or if you're, let's say you're, you know, you're coaching kids playing football. Yeah. And they, they break something, yep. you know, and what kind of compassionate coach would, you know, maybe in the SEC, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you, you're caring for these kids. You want them to be well, whole, yep. play at their best. You want to, you want to set them up to win, you know? And yep. so they, they, they sit out, you know? So. Yeah. If you tear your ACL, man, the first thing you need is rest and no contact. Aaron Rodgers, talk yeah. to him about it. Yeah, 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 man. That's right. And so that's what your relationship needs. You need rest and rehab. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love for, if you have a, any other closing words, Pastor Joe, we're going to wrap it up. But it, it makes me think when you say that, you mentioned it in the sermon even, like love is patient. And I mean, maybe it's microwaves or, you know, cars are faster. I don't know. But it seems like patience is, is, is lower than ever, right? And, you, and the idea of somebody waiting, it seems unthinkable. And, I mean, culturally, right? It's just like people say, it doesn't matter who you are. It's just like, you, you can't wait your whole life. Never have sex your whole life, right? Um, so as we're, as we're going to close, I would just love for you to pray that there would be that kind of strength, you yeah. know, from a wisdom standpoint, like how's that working for the world? Mm-hmm. Like even if we leave all the supernatural, like how it, 
if sex equaled happiness, Hollywood would be the pinnacle of uh-huh. joy and peace. <laughs> and it is a dumpster fire. Yeah. The richest, smartest, prettiest people on the planet are the most miserable mm. human beings. Mm. So Solomon would say, hey, man, I've seen this a hundred times before. Mm-hmm. This path you're on leads somewhere. Yeah. And it leads to Sheol. It leads to hell. Mm. But there's another path. He's a good shepherd. You follow him. Of course, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But he's the author of life. And you can trust him. Mm. And when you, particularly when it comes to the biblical sexual ethic, yeah. when you do things God's way, especially when it's countercultural, you are producing the potential for a life and a future mate that you have no idea the joy you're going to be able to walk mm. into. Mm. And so it's worth the wait. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for marriage. Marriage is your idea. The whole thing started with marriage and then there was a war. And it's all going to end. There's going to be a war. And then there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, I pray for the folks at our church, married and unmarried, going to be married, never going to be married. God, the singles forever, the singles for a season, all the things, God. Lord, I pray that we would taste and see that you are good and that you're a good shepherd. And that our marriages, for all the married folks, that we would see our marriage as not uh, an institution for our own joy and happiness, but that it is a reflection of your joy in yourself. And Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the wife of our youth, that we, the Bible says, God, your word says that he who finds a wife finds what is good. So Lord, I pray that the men would stand up and act like men, that we would spend the majority of our words and time and effort with hearts of gratitude to you for the gift that you've given us, that we would rejoice. God, I pray that wives would respect their husbands as unto the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would do a supernatural work to fend off the enemy in this evil age through the relationships here at 1122, that they would bring you glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast, <laughs> The End. You nailed it.